We've been looking this fall and winter at uh, 1 Peter. We're going to continue doing that today. We're up to the section of, of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 uh, through 22. That text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. One of the things uh, that I um, really enjoy uh, in, our, in our worship service is when uh, we sing things... Uh, well, it kind of reminds me of a, back when I was a kid, there was a TV show on Saturdays called American Bandstand. Dick Clark, American Bandstand. Um, and they would play music and they would have a group in it that had a song in the top 40 and all these teenagers would sit around and, but it was funny, teenagers back in the 60s looked like 40-year-olds. I don't know, I don't, it was really weird. Anyway, they, they would... <laughs> They would dance and, you know, talk about it. And he would ask them, what do you think about that song? And the thing is, they would say, well, it has a good tune and you can dance to it. So the hymn we just sang, By Thy Mercy, has a good tune and you can dance to it. Doesn't it? Which I'm, I'm for that, you know. I don't like organs. So, um, um, but one of the things that I, you know, we, we sing this song. We certainly want deliverance from nature's blindness, the hardening power of sin, malice and unkindness, the pride that lurks within, if not for us, for somebody we know. Um, and we certainly want deliverance when we're dying and before judgment, but I, I thought that I was supposed to work hard to get the world to smile. Wealth and ease was what life was for. Earthly joys... Yeah, I'm for that. Uh, health and peace. Don't ask, what else is there? Exactly. Uh, not that those things are necessarily bad, but they are um, our relationship with them, our grasping after them, our uh, connecting them to <clears throat> the, uh, what it means to have God love us is, uh, is what's problematic. And then it connects today with what Peter's going to talk to us about uh, in uh, this text. Uh, uh, the text is, uh, as I said, in the bulletin up on the screens behind me, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. You know, the, the great thing about that, that hymn is that um, what, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you are, whether you're rich or poor, good-looking or ugly, uh, healthy or unhealthy, old or young, living or dying, you need deliverance by the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Um, and that's, that's always a good thing for us to be reminded of. Okay, so 1 Peter three thirteen through 22. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, than if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, 
in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. One of the great things about living in a, one place uh, for a long time, uh, come uh, Memorial Day weekend, we will have lived in Richmond 30 years, uh, is that you, you, have, you run into people around town uh, that you've known for a long time. Last night, I, I ran into a friend of mine that I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, one of the first uh, people we met when we, when we moved uh, t- to Richmond, and we were, we were at a gathering, a social gathering. It was fun catching up and talking about our kids and his grandchildren and uh, his mom, who's 97 and a half. And uh, it, was just a, it was just a great time. And he said, well, I said, so what did you do today? And he said, well... I went to the gun show. I'm like, really? I've always wanted to go to the gun show. I really have. Just because, partly because I just want to see what's there, but I'm really interested in who's there. <laughs> really interested in that. And I, I'm like, that, that, that would be, uh, and I hear they have some great guns and some great knives and, and, and all of that, and it's probably the safest place to be in all of the Commonwealth of Virginia, right? <laughs> So um, I'm like, yeah, I'd be really interested in that. So we were talking. Suddenly I realized we're not talking about the gun show anymore. We're talking about all the food that he has buried in his backyard. Because there's a reason why he went to the gun show. Uh, And the reason why he has six months worth of food buried in his backyard. And then... He said, what do you think about that? I said, well, you know, I, I think about saving food. We used to do that when I was a kid. We used to, my mom canned all of the food. I remember hundreds of quart jars of food from the garden that we would set aside and that, we'd, that we would eat. And I really think that it would be a good thing for all Christians everywhere to store a lot of food in case something bad happened so you could give it away. And he changed the subject. And I said to him what I always say to people that I have these conversations with, and that is, you know, I, I really don't want to uh, shoot my neighbor over a can of tuna if he's starving. So, um, that was awkward. <laughs> I didn't intend to have that conversation when I went to that gathering, so... Um, Now, you know, it's, well, anyway. Peter is preparing the church in this text uh, for suffering. Peter is preparing the people of God in this text for some terrible things that are going to happen to them. And it is enlightening to us that one of the things that he says is that as they are faithful to the gospel, as they identify more and more with Christ, it is precisely because of that that they may suffer. And so what he does in this text is he gives them encouragement and hope and help uh, that will see them through safely 
to the end. So not a lot in this text about gun shows or prepping, but a lot in this about the goodness, the redemption, the power, and the sovereignty of God uh, to people who suffer. And so one of the things that you have to see about this, now admittedly, you know, if you were paying attention when I read that text, there should be some things in this text that you should be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's this about Noah and preaching to spirits in prison? Did you catch that? Or the part about the water and the baptism saving us and all that stuff? Uh, Now, go back and read that. You probably weren't listening when I, when I read that, but that's, that's in there. We're going to get to that. It connects. Uh, it has a, a lot to do with exactly the, the theme of this passage. But the thing you have to see before you get wrapped up in those things is that what Peter wants the church to do is he wants them to be prepared for the suffering, the persecution that is sure to come. And so what he says is sometimes it is the will of God for us that we suffer for doing what is right. Sometimes it is the will of God for the church to suffer precisely because you've done the right thing. That's in verse 17, okay? Uh, No karma here. You know, you do the right thing, everything works out right here and now. Uh, No, sometimes it's the will of God for us that we suffer for doing what is right. Sometimes... Uh, We suffer even for righteousness' sake, in verse 13. Sometimes we are slandered and reviled precisely because we are following Christ, verse 16. So so the thing that you have to see about this, and then he he ends up at at chapter 4, verse 1, with even even saying that that, that Christ did this. So so one of the things that you have to, to see is that Peter is preparing the church to suffer for what is right and to help us do this, He includes the reason, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Now, for all the puzzling things that are in these verses, right, uh, we must not forget this main point, that Peter's intention in this text is to help us arm ourselves with the faith to suffer for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Now, let me just say a couple of words here about safety and about where we are. So, so if you preach, uh, if you're in my job, if you do what I do for a living, one of the ways that you can do this is you can survey the church and you can survey the culture and you can say, what are some things that we need to hear that are directly applicable to where we live right here and now? What are some things that we can do and that we can say that scratches everybody's itch and markets the church appropriately, markets Jesus appropriately. Well, what Peter, so, so if, if you thought that, you'd never talk about this text. Because the reason why you would never talk about this text is, is think, think a little bit about how, how this works. The way, the way we tend to think about the gospel and the way we tend to think about uh, uh, the, the proclamation of the good news about Jesus Christ is, is very different from this situation. Because imagine, when you present the gospel to people, you're, you're saying to them, Jesus loves you, he's for you, he lived, he died, he rose again, he's coming again, he is for you. All these things that are wrong in your life, if you will just trust him, they'll get better. In this church, in this culture, in this context, 
what they're saying to people is, I want to tell you about my Jesus. He lived, he died, he rose again. And if you believe in him and identify with him, it might cost you everything. In fact, it is dangerous for you to even be talking to me right now. A little different from the way we tend to think about this. What, what I want you to understand about this is, is that, that Peter is talking about being prepared for this. He's not talking about asserting rights. He's not talking about finding safety in a constitution or in a congress or in an election. What he's saying is what real safety is is found only in Christ and that the fact of the matter is the, the, this church, in this culture, in the situation that they're in, may actually find themselves in a situation where because of their faithfulness, they are struggling and suffering and persecuted. Listen, you are in a severe minority. And the minority that you're in, both historically and nationally, is that you live in a place and at a time in that place where being a Christian is not dangerous. For most of the history of the world, in most places, being a Christian is dangerous. Now, for most of us here, we have no clue about what that's like. And, and, it's, it is, and, and, and I, and I want to say right here and now, praise God that you don't have a clue as long as wealth and ease are not beguiling you. But at the, and, 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 and at the same time, don't feel guilty because you live in this time and this place and this is where God has you in his providence. This is where he's called you to live and to be. But what you have to see here is what Peter t is talking to these people about in preparing them is that he wants them to see that the safest place to be in a dangerous world, in a world where they might actually have to suffer for actually doing what Jesus has called them to do, might be exactly being in that place where they're called to suffer for belonging to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to unpack this uh, a little bit more as, as, we, as we look into this text today. And I think there's some stuff in here that actually is extremely encouraging and actually really helpful for the way in which we view our lives here and now. So, so it would make sense, after talking to slaves and after talking to uh, people who need to submit to a government that would persecute them, he's now talking to women who are married to men who are not Christians, that, that it would be good for us to remember that the whole context of this, of this book is that we're aliens, that we don't fit in, that we don't belong, and that our ultimate citizenship, that our ultimate home, that the thing, the, the place we belong, that is heaven, the very kingdom of God, and that we are moving towards that in our lives. And, and in fact, this life 
where I might have to suffer for doing, uh, doing the right thing, for proclaiming uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, for living the way in which he's called me to live, that, that this life is a blink of an eye. And that real safety in this is recognizing this world and this time for what it is and entrusting myself fully to the one who owns my ultimate destiny forever and ever. So we need to remember as we look at this that we're aliens. Next slide, please, Chris. So, um, so he wants to encourage uh, the church as we suffer persecution. And he wants to give us that from two places. First, from Jesus, right? That Jesus was the best man who ever lived, and he was persecuted, right? He says, for, for Christ also suffered once for sins, right? So, so, the, so the fact is, if you identify with Jesus Christ, I mean, we, we say that we are Christians. We say that we belong to him. Well, the fact is, as this uh, quotation says at the beginning of the bulletin, Christians are meant to have the same vocation as their king, that of cross-bearers. Now, we tend to think of cross-bearing as cancer. We tend to think of cross-bearing as old age, sick, sickness, and dying, which are the common things to human beings. They're bad, and Jesus redeems us from those. But that's not what he's talking about. I, I thought about this this morning when I... I got up and, and I was preaching at the nine o'clock service. I thought, oh man, I should have stretched before I did this because uh, my hip hurts. I ran too far yesterday and I'm thinking, you know, I'm getting old and I'm going to die. That's not supposed to happen. I'm supposed to live forever, Right? Well, the reality of this situation is as hard as those things are, as as difficult as those things are, they, you get those things not for doing what is right. You get those things because you're a human being. <laughs> okay? What we're talking about here is the suffering, the death, the persecution that comes because you've identified with Christ. Well, it only makes sense. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was executed. Jesus was, was hated. So it only makes sense that if we identify with him, that those things might happen to us as well. But that's not the only encouragement that he wants us to have, is that is that we're in fellowship with, with our Lord. Secondly, Jesus' death accomplishes qualitatively and quantitatively more than anything else could. Notice what he says here, that he suffered once for sins, that he makes atonement, that he exchanges his righteousness for my unrighteousness so that he could bring me once and for all to God. And that once and for all is so important because it means I am set free from having to work off the guilt of my sin. Once and for all, Jesus Christ died. Once and for all, he paid the debt. Once and for all, he exchanged his righteousness for my righteousness. And that suffering is my hope, is my life, is what purchased me, is what I'm banking my whole life on. And so that suffering had the effect of bringing me to God. That suffering had the effect of, of, of connecting me forever and settling me once and for all in heaven. That, that suffering is the thing that God uses to redeem me, right? So, so he wants us to take encouragement from that as we look at Jesus Christ first and foremost. Second, 
He also wants us to have encouragement as we suffer from Noah. Now, you were probably thinking, Noah. Probably not the first guy that jumped into your mind, right? I want to hear from Noah about suffering, right? Uh, (laughs) um, Did you see that crazy movie with uh, Crow? Russell Crow. Did you see that? Came out? Noah, don't go see it. I don't know what that was about. My kids are like, Dad, don't you see how redemptive this movie is? I'm like, it's stupid. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to submit to authority because I pay the cable bill and we're not watching it. So, um, yeah. Um, not, not, much, not much connection with what reality or the Bible, right? So, so what, what I want to do is we talk for the next few minutes about this kind of weird passage here about Noah and the spirits in prison and uh, water and baptism and all that. Let me just say uh, that people have uh, struggled over this passage since it was written about just what exactly it means. What I'm about to tell you is right. You can go look, you can go look at other places on the internet and other commentaries that are going to say other things. They're wrong. Which, just let me just say about this, that there was a time in the church when pastors said, this is right and this is wrong, and nobody laughed because there was no irony in that. Just think about that one. and Pray for me this afternoon when, 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 when you think about that. I'm pretty sure, uh, actually, that this is the way to look at this because I think what Peter's getting at is the big picture of... Uh, God's deliverance, God's encouragement, and the work of Jesus Christ for when we are uh, struggling because we belong to him. So there's a lot of controversy over what this refers to. And so I'm going to tell you what I think and how it relates to the main point. I think it refers to the time when people in Noah's day were disobedient, mocking him as a righteous man obeying God, just like the situation that these uh, people are are in that Peter's writing to. One of of the things that you read in the New Testament is that Noah was a preacher of righteousness in his generation, right? He was the one who was bearing witness to the one true God in a world that was going literally to hell in a hurry, right? And so so what what Peter says here is, is that Jesus, in the Spirit, preached was sent by God in those days to preach to those people through Noah. Now, when you read that here, it says um, um, that he was made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So you may say, well, that seems really weird, except that in 1 Peter uh, 1.11, we've already looked at this, that the spirit of Jesus was in the Old Testament prophets predicting his coming. So, so, the, so the spirit of Jesus was in Noah preaching to the disobedient people of Noah's day. So can you see, begin, begin to get a glimmer here of the connection between why what happened to Noah uh, would, would be encouraging to a persecuted church? Not only that, he says they're a minority, only eight persons with God. Now, think about this for a second. If in the whole world, Everywhere, over the whole planet, there are eight believers. That's it. Eight. One family. Eight. 
That's it. You think you're in a minority? You're in no minority. <laughs> eight. Let me just say that again. Just eight. And they're all related to each other. That, I mean, we don't even think eight's enough for a small group around here. You've got to have 12, right? Because, you know, eight, you might get uncomfortable, and there, you know, there are too many people in there. Twelve is a much more comfortable number. There's just eight in the whole world. That's a minority. And, and in a whole world that's not indifferent, but a world that hates them, right? So, so when, when he says this, that's, that he's like, just remember back then, you know, as hard as it is now, this is the way God has always worked. And so he speaks to them that being a minority uh, with uh, only eight persons with God might actually be the safest place to be because guess what? When God was done, how many people were left on the planet? Eight. So the flood, as he speaks about this, and Noah suddenly reminds Peter of baptism. A flood, water, oh, baptism. I think that's how it went. And so he says, he wants us to know that the God who delivered Noah and his family will deliver us. Now, Here's what you have to see about this. And this is the thing that kind of blew my circuits this week when I was, there was a lot about this passage that blew my circuits. But this in particular is something that I just find uh, just so encouraging. So this salvation and deliverance is sealed to us in Christian baptism. Not that the outward application of the water saves us, but as he says here, that we are, have now, as a result of this identification with Christ, we have this new existence in his resurrection life that we have as the people of God through what Jesus has done for us. Now, one of the things that you have to see about this, and this is why this is so important, why does Peter not say that Noah and his family were saved from water and not through water, or actually the, what the Greek actually says, by water? The flood was God's means of delivering Noah from the wicked generation in which he lived. And so, so the water delivered Noah, right? And so, so when you see that, that's exactly the thing that we have to understand here is that that then this is what kind of blows my mind about this is because the way I tend to think about this is, is that, uh, uh, you know, God had to put the people in the ark because, he, you know, the water might, might kill them. Well, the fact is, the, the, what God's doing there is he's actually protecting them, not just by putting them in the, in, the, in the ark, but by flooding the world. So the water delivered Noah from the wickedness and the violence of their generation. So Christians are brought through the waters of death, this flood of destruction, in order that they might be established upon Christ and his resurrection. So that's what he's getting at here as, as, he, as he says this. So we can identify not just with Jesus who was persecuted and not just with Noah, but, but to see in the midst of this that this thing that God is doing is bigger than the world in which we, that, that what we spend so much of our time and energy on, right? So God, Jesus died then to bring us to where Jesus, to, to bring us to where he is now. 
seated at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And so what we need to see about this is, is that the suffering that comes as a result of identifying with Christ is not out of his control. But in fact, as he says back earlier in the passage, God might actually have you and call you to suffer precisely because you belong to him. It's a part of his plan. Now, let me make some direct application to this. What of the persecuted church? This is, a, this is directed straight to the persecuted church. One of the things, one of the ways in which we talk about this is, we talk about that there are countries and there are places in the world that are closed to the gospel. I would love to have Peter come here, or Paul, either one, and you to say to them, hey, what about the closed countries? And hear him say, Jesus is Lord. Everything is subject to him. What is a closed country? This is hard. I, I, but what a, what a dramatic thing for us to hear and to see. That because of what Jesus Christ has done, because he is Lord, we belong to the Lord of the universe and everything is submitted and subjected to him. We should pray for our brothers and sisters who are in places where they're persecuted for their faith. We should pray for their deliverance, but not just that. More than that, what they want you to pray for is not deliverance from pain, but for the power of the gospel in their witness to change the place where they are, that they would be effective and faithful in understanding as they suffer under for, for righteousness' sake so that the gospel would have its effect and so that every knee of those persecutors would bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So not only do we, as I, as I heard a, a, a man say recently, that we don't, don't, don't just pray for them, but pray with them for the effective proclamation of the gospel. Secondly, so what are we to make of the safe life that we have? Well, uh, I, uh, I think it is fascinating that how much time and energy I spend on making myself safe and secure right here right now. I, I, I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but I spend the bulk of my time thinking about that. Almost all of my time when I'm not hungry, because then I'm thinking about my next meal, <laughs> which actually has something to do with comfort, right? But, but the fact is, this is what I spend my time thinking about. This is what I spend my energy on. This is what I speculate on. How much more do I need to save to be secure? And there's nothing wrong with that, if, in a sense. But real safety is eternal. Real safety 
is eternal. And so that what Peter says to us today is the safest place to be might be in the place where your life is at risk for the proclamation of the gospel rather than finding, using every means possible to protect yourself against the hard things that may come your way in this life. We need to be responsible, certainly, certainly. But I want, to, I want you to do not, listen, you got to hear this. Do not trade the safety of what's going to happen this week or next week or 10 years from now versus the safety of being with Jesus forever. Do not do that. And do not fall prey to that temptation because the safest place to be is with him, next to him, with him forever. Lastly, so who or what are the strongest and biggest things that would undo us? You know, um, we think um, that everything hinges on the things that we see happening right here and now. We think everything hinges on what happens Tuesday, and that's important. You should vote. But I want you to understand that none of those names on that ballot can affect your eternity. That granted, you should vote your conscience and the righteousness that you understand that the gospel proclaims to you that you see in Jesus Christ should shape the way you think about that. But don't make a decision in fear. If you are trusting Jesus Christ, there's a sense in which your safety is guaranteed by his death and his suffering for you. You can rest in that, knowing that he is for you and that he is Lord. The thing that will undo us is not those who might persecute us, those who might hurt us, those who might take our tax-exempt status away. (laughs) I'm even embarrassed to say something like that in this context. As horrible and as terrible and as wrong as that would be, the thing that will undo you is the thing you never see coming. And that's your sin. The hardening power of sin. The pride that lurks within. The beguiling effects of the the system and the way in which we live. That would undo us. And Jesus will not stand for that. Because we belong to him, and because he belongs to us, and because he suffered and he died, we can rest assured that we belong to him forever, and that these things, as hard and as terrible as they are, we have the encouragement that Jesus suffered, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended to heaven, and that's where I'm headed. That's where history's headed. That's where I belong. Let's pray. Lord, we, we need a sense of this today. Um, forgive us for being beguiled by what appears to be safe. 
forgive us for that. We pray today for uh, our brothers and sisters who are actually uh, under uh, the thumb and the boot of people who hate them because they hate you. Lord, we pray for protection. We pray for care. But more than that, Lord, we pray for effective gospel proclamation, that the truth of the word would go out with power and authority and that it would change people's lives forever. Lord, forgive us for being so enamored with um, safety and security here and now and forgetting the safety and security that you died to give us. Help us. You love us. You know we're like this. And yet you uh, are not embarrassed to call us your own. And so I pray that you would help us uh, today. And Lord, I I pray uh, for every one of us today that we would, um, that we trust you in the midst of our difficulties and that we would trust you in the midst of the historical situation that we find ourselves in and that we would see that all authority is under you because you suffered, you died, you atoned, you rose again. Help us to trust that and to take joy in that today we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.